0: Good morning, welcome to Axios today. It's Thursday, November 3rd. I'm Nyla Budu. Today, President Biden's dark warning days before the midterm election.
1: We must vote knowing who we have been, what we're at risk of becoming.
0: Plus, the rise of the extreme right in Israel and the return of Netanyahu. But first, democracy on the ballot. That's today's one big thing.
1: We, the people, must decide whether we're going to sustain a republic where reality is accepted, the law is obeyed, and your vote is truly sacred.
0: President Biden gave a speech last night, unlike one we've ever heard from a president, days ahead of the midterms.
1: Democracy is in the ballot for all of us. We must remember that democracy is a covenant.
0: Axios' Hans Nichols is here with the big picture. What did you hear from the White House about why President Biden felt last night's speech was necessary, Hans? Well, look, this has been bubbling for a while.
1: I think ultimately you kind of heard it from the president himself, though, and that is that Paul Pelosi is on his mind. The husband of the speaker, Nancy Pelosi, who was attacked in his own home. And he drew this direct line, this direct link between the attack on Pelosi, the assault on the Capitol and President Trump's refusal to accept the election results.
0: Who do you think was the intended audience?
1: He's talking to his base. He's trying to rile them up. He's trying to energize them. He's always presidents tend to broadcast always to independents. He wants to make sure that he gets the independents and have them understand what he views to be the stakes of the election and have that same coalition that he that, you know, delivered the White House form in 2020. I think the third audience is history. If the election results aren't accepted and America is at the beginning of something much more sinister and troubling, then we might look back to this speech as, as an important moment, a an important call.
0: He gave a warning about the election deniers up and down the ballot across the country. How much of this was about getting those election deniers to accept the results if they lose?
1: So, yes, he's putting on notice. I don't think the White House is under a whole lot of illusions that they can really convince diehard Trump supporters and Trump aligned Republicans, because remember, he's called them or suggested that they're semi-fascist. And we all know that politicians have high opinions of their ability to persuade. But if you're calling the other side semi-fascist, you probably don't think you're necessarily going to reach them with you know, a primetime address that maybe wasn't covered by the channels that they tend to watch.
0: So far, as the president pointed out, 27 million Americans have already cast their ballots in the midterms. In states like Georgia and Michigan, that's approaching record midterm voting levels. Does that mean that Americans are getting the message about the importance of voting?
1: That's a great question. I just don't think we can know that until we have the vote totals from both, you know, early and in-person. So if overall turnout is at record levels in 2022, higher than 2020, that's going to be interesting. The, the bigger question is, this, if this, this midterm election is going to look more like a general election with higher turnout, then ultimately that will probably be good for the president's party. I don't necessarily think we're going to see a, any huge deviations from sort of standard turnout models. But again, I probably shouldn't make any sort of predictions in November.
0: What else stood out to you about last night?
1: Oh, just the location, right? I mean, this is a president that hasn't traveled that much during the midterms. He's a little bit constricted on where he can go because a lot of vulnerable candidates don't want to appear with him. But he was, you know, within a seven minute walk uh, to the Capitol from where he's speaking at Union Station. And so, you know, I suspect this kind of gets remembered as the Union Station speech. That's my own little shorthand for it already. And uh, there it could be exceedingly important or it could be totally forgotten. And I just don't think we know the answer to that yet.
0: Hans Nichols covers the White House for Axios. Thanks, Hans. Thanks for having me. In a moment, how the extreme right has taken hold in Israel. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is close to winning the Israeli election with the help of a right-wing bloc. The victory is an unprecedented rise for the extreme right. Here to explain what that looks like in Israel is Axios's Barak Ravid, joining us from Tel Aviv. Barak, Benjamin Netanyahu was not always associated with the far-right and Jewish supremacists. What changed in this election?
2: Netanyahu was sort of the the middle-of-the-road conservative politician, maybe even a John mccain type of politician. But then since 2015, he started to radicalize. And one of the reasons for his radicalization is the police investigations that started against him in cases of uh, corruption, which led to his indictments in bribe, breach of trust, and fraud. In the 2019 election, what happened was that he ran in the election while he was indicted. And more and more politicians said, "You know, we're not gonna sit with this guy in the same government. And this started the political crisis we've been going through in the last three and a half years, which led to five election campaigns. And Netanyahu found himself dependent on the right and then on the extreme right and then on the most radical elements in the right because that's whoever he had left. And in the process, he normalized people that until a few years ago, he wouldn't even be caught in the same picture with.
0: So when you say extreme and radicalized, and when we say Jewish supremacist, like what does the Jewish power party stand for?
2: It's very similar to what you mean when you say a white supremacist. When you take all the noise out and you look at the very basic fundamentals it's the same kind of racism, xenophobia, misogyny, But here in Israel, it's mainly connected to the Arab minority or to Palestinians in the West Bank. And when you look at who's who in those parties, it's pretty amazing. Itamar Ben-Gvir is a guy who was convicted for supporting a terrorist organization. And his partner, In this party, Bezalel Smotrich, who wants to be the Minister of Defense, he was arrested during the Gaza disengagement under suspicion of trying to organize a terror attack. And several years ago, the same Smotrich held an anti-gay parade, and then they have their third friend, a guy called Avi Maoz, who is leading a very, very small fringe religious party called Noam. And their sole purpose is to promote anti-gay and anti-women uh, legislation. And all those people just won 14 seats. They're the third biggest party in the government. They have huge leverage over Netanyahu, who needs them in order to try and stop his trial.
0: How did parties with such extreme ideologies end up with 14 seats?
2: I think it, it had to do a lot with the war we had in Gaza in May last year. And I think that opened the door for people like Ben to come and say, you know what, I'm a law and order guy. I will uh, show them who's the boss, who's the real owner of this place. And again, you, you, you know the same slogans from politicians in America. I think that, you know, all this together became this hotbed for Ben Gvir to basically get a lot of voters that never voted for the extreme right. And some of them are first time voters. He was very popular with soldiers or with, you know, 18 or 19 year olds that vote for the first time and, and saw his, his videos on TikTok. And th- this is how he basically managed to bring between two to three seats that were never part of the right wing bloc. And he basically gave the victory to Netanyahu.
0: So what does this new Israeli government mean for the future of Israel?
2: Well, I think it rings a bell to our listeners right now that find a lot of similarities from this and and the situation in America, because it has a lot of similarities. And people on both sides feel that the other side got nothing to do with them. And uh, when this is the case, nothing good can come out of it for any country.
0: Barak Ravida's Exios contributing correspondent based in Tel Aviv. Thanks, Barack. Thanks, Naila. That's it for us today. Special thanks to Erica Pandey and Emily Peck for filling in while I was out longer than I thought because I finally got COVID. Don't worry, I'm doing okay. I'm Naila Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Did you know The Daily Show with Trevor Noah is available as a podcast? It's called The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. On Ears Edition, you can hear full episodes of The Daily Show from Comedy Central, along with extended interviews, exclusive extras, and more. Here, Trevor Noah, his correspondents, and special guests discuss the day's biggest news in politics, pop culture, entertainment, sports, and more. Ears first. Listen to The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts.